Caledonian McBrain and the Big Light present... Falcha, I'm Cunyach MacLeod, the Hebridean Baker. Originally from the Isle of Lewis, I'm an author, TV presenter and travel blogger. I spend lots of time traveling around the world, discovering amazing places and the people who live there. But my favorite place is home, the Hebrides, making me your perfect guide to the very best things to do, see, eat and enjoy throughout the incredible islands on the west coast of Scotland. Welcome to Scottish Island Adventures. In this episode, I'm whisking you off to the island of Harris. Just a short ferry trip from Uig on the Isle of Skye to the bustling main ferry port of Tarbert. The island is home to rugged mountain terrain and some of the most spectacular beaches in the world. And it's the original home of the iconic luxury handwoven cloth Harris Tweed. Coming up, I visit the Isle of Harris Distillery, take a trip to the uninhabited island of Tarrancy, and head south to the fascinating 16th century St. Clement's Church in Rodal. But first, I'm delighted to be joined by Emma McLeod, an incredible Gaelic singer whose passion for traditional music and storytelling has won her many fans and awards, particularly the prestigious traditional gold medal at the Royal National Mod in 2021. Emma, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> now, Emma, Harris is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Isn't it just? It's stunning. From Laskintow Beach to Elan Glass Lighthouse in Scalfe, it's just, there's just so much to see. And uh, both halves of the island are just so different. You've got they the are. gold sandy beaches on one side, and then you've got the lunar landscape on the other side. So it's stunning. <laughs> and and when you're heading home and you're you're getting off the ferry uh, in, in Tarbert, mm -hmm. you know, it, depending on which drive you take, it's such a different experience. It is, totally. You've got so many choices. You can loop all the way around to head to Scalpe, or you could head down uh, down south. You've got the Golden Road, um, and you've got down to the beaches as well, Luskintara, Horgabos, Nishabos. We're spoiled for choice. <laughs> you absolutely are on, on Harris. And I think at the centre of it, though, it's such a wonderful community. It is, definitely. Yeah, the people are just so welcoming and so proud of their identity and their culture. So it's, it's a great place to visit. <laughs> now, I've got quite an important question for you, Emma. Mm -hmm. Do you like a dram? I love a drum. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what's your what's your tipple of choice? Oh, I'd have to go with gin. I'm a big fan of gin. Oh, you're a gin? Particularly uh -huh. the Isle of Harris gin. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Opened in September 2015, the Isle of Harris distillery was the brainchild of founder Anderson Bakewell, who was inspired to capture the rare and elusive spirit of the island in a bottle that could be shared around the world. He also wanted to encourage young people to stay on the island to live and work. When you arrive at the distillery, there is an immediate sense of a modern Hebrides. While the gin is already on sale, its whiskey continues to mature. I met up with Harris-born Mary Morrison, whose nose will be our guide. I've just stepped off the ferry to the capital village of the Isle of Harris, Tarbert. 
and all I can see are hundreds and hundreds of barrels outside the Isle of Harris distillery. And I'm off to meet MM, who's the tour manager here, who's going to tell me all about it. We're here in the flavour room at the Isle of Harris distillery. Now, and, um, we've, we've arrived at the distillery today and it's so busy. Like there's a queue of people here buying two, three, four bottles of gin. There's a, a tour happening as well. It's become a big part of the community of Tarbert. Absolutely, Cunyoch. You know, it's interesting that you say that because three weeks ago, when we announced the launch of our Heroch whiskey, we had an event here at the distillery and I went home after a wonderful night, a wonder, wonderful Cayley year, and I said to my husband, you know, the distillery really is in the heart of our village here mm -hmm. in Harris. Mm -hmm. It is a hub, it is a meeting place, a gathering place, and so many lovely memories are made right here at the distillery. Before we even get to the, the whiskey, tell us a bit about what, what has happened to the distillery since you started releasing the, the Harris Gin. Oh, Cunyoch, it's been tremendous. It really has been. It's been a wonderful nearly eight years of our Harris Gin, connecting us to so many countries, over 30 countries. We're using our own water, you know, in the gin to dilute it to bottle strength. Our whiskey is all Harris water. And isn't it just tremendous? It, it, it actually is quite emotional thinking that people who are connected with us from Canada, USA, across to New Zealand and Australia are drinking some of our island water. When uh, we opened our doors, we wanted to create a spirit with an island flavour. And what better flavour than the flavour of the sea. Now that's interesting. Was there a reason for that? Yes, there was. We had a lady called Susanna Masters, who was an ethnobotanist working with the company. Back in the days before wild swimming was such a popular <laughs> pastime, that's what she enjoyed doing. Oh, wow. Uh -huh. And it was on one of those trips under the sea that she found the sugar kelp. And that's just one of the botanicals that yes. are in the gin. So. Give us a, a guide of what other flavours to expect. Well, can we pour a wee Harris oh, gin oh, first? Oh, I would love one. I think we should. Listen to the best sound in the world. <laughs> Listen to that, just pour perfectly. At this time of the day, nothing like This is the perfect time gin. of day. Slanche. Slanche of all. Nisha, what are you smelling there before we come to the botanicals? Well, for me, there's a real citrus in it as well. Is that what I'm getting? Isn't there? Mm -hmm. So that is the bitter Seville orange peel. Right. There's also the English coriander seed. There you go, That's smell gorgeous. it. But as the citrus kind of disappears, what then are you smelling? Oh, wow. There's definitely juniper. That's a kind of real burst, isn't it? The juniper as well. Smell the lovely aroma from these juniper berries. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. And really, it can't be gin without the juniper berries. No, it can't. Feeling down that very tactile bottle, the waves of the sea, but looking at it from front to back, you have that wonderful angular pattern of the herringbone of Harris Tweed. 
smell that when you smell thinking about especially on a wilder day today maybe not so much because it's so calm but when it's really wild and the waves the waves being whipped up oh it's it's, it's, it's beautiful just, it's so fragrant have a wee taste and now see if you can taste anything Now, we're having it straight just now. We'll talk yes. about how you would serve it. But uh, there is a definite warmth. Yes. As we would say in Gaelic, there's a blast. That's very true. Now, M.M., how is the best way to serve the gin? Well, to create the perfect Harris serve, I'm going to add oh, wow. a couple of drops of pure distilled sugar kelp to your gin. Okay. We like a nice strong <laughs> gin here. And this... Uh, you add to your gin uh -huh. to create a much more intense sea flavour. Okay. Add a good big wedge of pink grapefruit, pink grapefruit. to complement the citrus botanicals. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And our tonic is from Fraserborough on the east coast of oh, Scotland. No way. Uh -huh. Yes. Right. Try that we will. with the aromatic water. Oh. Oh, it's so isn't that so sweet? It's so good. It is. Oh, Ashen Ma. I Ashen Ma. You know, the past seven, eight years, we've been celebrating the Harris Gin here, but we've been waiting. You've called your whiskey the Heroch. So tell us what that means. Well, the Heroch is the Gaelic name given to people like myself, born and brought up here in Harris. Uh, like you are a Yosef, and, and we, next won't, <laughs> we won't hold that against you being across the border. But, but what should people expect uh, from the Heroch? The Heroch is going to be a representation of our island. You know, the fact that it's uh, been made here, the fact that we're using the water from Tarbert, from Harris, that is the softest water that you'll find anywhere. Every single drop of it matured on Harris. I've been lucky enough to travel across the world over, this, uh, over these adventures. And it's been amazing to see Harris gin sold in America and Canada and many countries around the world. So the furthest I've ever travelled is to Ireland. <laughs> but knowing that friends of mine have walked into a bar in New York and seen the Harris bottle on the gantry in one of the bars there, how incredibly Incredible. special is that? It is. And, and everybody involved in it should be so proud, meaning that I just can't wait to try the hell nor can I. <laughs> well, Emma, uh, listening to MM, so passionate uh, about the Isle of Harris distillery, <laughs> but are you looking forward to trying the whiskey? I cannot wait. I am... Not a massive fan of whiskey, but I do like a Highland Park, which I think is what they're aiming for. So I am buzzing to try it. <laughs> and being from the islands, how proud are you that, as MM was saying, that you know you can visit a, a bar in New York or somewhere and a produce from home is being celebrated across the world? It's absolutely incredible. Um, even for Tartan Week just there, um, also my friends work at the distillery and to see them on the big screen in Times Square representing our island, it's just incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Couldn't be prouder. 
for more information on the Isle of Hades Distillery. To book a tour or to order online, go to isleofhadisdistillery.com or simply visit calmac.co.uk. Gaelic music and song is so important to you. H- how did that all begin? It's very important to me. So I've been I've been singing in Gaelic since I was very wee. Um, I only really spoke Gaelic at home until I probably started school. It was the main language in the house, and um, used to always listen to to bands like Flair and Nahawkini and all that. Um, and then when I did start school, we had uh, Gaelic music on a Friday with Costello, Ian McKeever, and um, I loved it. It was my favourite subject. And I was then swiftly pushed into taking part in the local modes and then on to the nationals as I got a bit older. <laughs> well, we, we mentioned that, you know, you're the traditional gold medal winner at the Royal National Mod. But for those who don't know what the Royal National Mod is, explain <laughs> explain what that is. Yeah, so the Royal National Mod is a week-long festival, celebration of the Gaelic language and culture. There's various competitions um, going on throughout the week. We've got solo singing, poetry, um, storytelling... Bible reading, psalm presenting, push to bail, choirs. There's a whole range of different things uh, to be involved in. And, you know, you, you arrive in the Texas in a different town or city yes. each year and there'll be 2,000 performers yes. all performing in these different competitions. Rumour has it, it's uh, also called the Whiskey Olympics. Yes, it's definitely <laughs> called the Whiskey Olympics. <laughs> it's an endurance, not yes. only in the singing, but also in the drinking. So it's a Absolutely. real celebration. It's a huge celebration. And, you know, you get people from all over coming together. And it's always finished off um, on the Saturday with the mass choirs, which is just an incredible experience. You've got hundreds, possibly thousands of people just standing in a local square just singing Gaelic songs together. And that's really special, isn't it? It really Really is is special. (laughs) I'm sure there are many songs that mean a lot to you, either, Mm -hmm. you know, from the island. Is there one in particular that that, that really resonates with you? I've got a fair few (laughs) that that I I do love and enjoy, um, but I always get drawn back to Scalpy songs. Um, When I did win the traditional gold medal, all three songs that I sang for the competition were Scalpy songs. Um, There were and a great abundance of songs from Scalpy. Uh, there's a big talent in Scalpy of people able, able to write songs. I unfortunately don't have that talent, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll just steal everybody else's and sing them for them. Um, but one in particular um, that I do love uh, was written by Dolly Golly Ruary, his name was. He used to have um, a shop in Scalpy, and he was uh, a great, great songwriter and poet. And um, I used to go and sing to him in the in Harris House, in the home, uh, before he passed away. And this was uh, one of my favourite songs, and he loved it as well. So it's He Cleum Harnamara, which is a song basically saying come with me to Scalpy because it's the best place in the world <laughs> Would you give us uh, a, a wee part of the song? Yes, sure He clelm harnam adid o scalp baine herig and chelam beko asid hanelayed i kuan He clelm harnam adid o scalp baine herig Eirvat a dol harish a machaun jaloin. That last line there says, um, on the boat with me. <laughs> but there's no longer a ferry to Scalpe, it's now a bridge. It is now a bridge. A wee fun fact, I was the first baby to cross the bridge. <laughs> so no way! My mum left um, the island on the ferry to go and have me in the hospital and came back with me over the bridge. <laughs> a wee fun fact for you. <laughs> well, isn't it great though, because Scalpe is a lovely wee island and so accessible now with the bridge. And one of my favourite spots is Evan Glass Lighthouse. 
like a wee bit of a rugged track out there, but definitely recommend a, a trip out to the lighthouse. Absolutely. The it views takes are beautiful. Oh, totally. Uh, it's uh, probably about uh, half an hour to walk out from the from the main road um, out to the lighthouse and you see over to Sky, you see loads of different wildlife and it's just, it's just incredible. It's such a quiet and peaceful place. I love going out there. <laughs> well, another quiet and peaceful place, this time on the most southerly tip of the island of Harris, is the village of Rodel. At its centre is the 16th century St. Clement's Church, built for the chiefs of the MacLeods of Harris. It was a Catholic church before falling into disuse shortly after its completion around 1560 as a consequence of the Reformation. The churchyard continued to be used as a Clan MacLeod burial site. However, by the 19th century, it was simply being used as a cow buyer before being restored by the Countess of Dunmore in 1873. I follow in the footsteps of centuries of MacLeods to find out more about this important medieval church. Today we're at St Clement's Church in Rodel with author and genealogist Bill Lawson. So who am I? Well, Bill Lawson, I've been in Harris for more years than I care to count, but uh, not from here originally, I was born in Ayrshire. But I was coming up here as a youngster to start this, and I was fascinated by the, the, the community's knowledge of its own history. And I think I realised fairly early on that the old people were full of this, and the young people weren't listening to them, and somebody had better start, <laughs> a lot of it was going to be lost. So I, I did start, and it became a hobby, I spent most of my time here when I could. And then it got beyond the stage of being a hobby and became an obsession. And 30 years ago I decided, right, I'm going to concentrate on, not in genealogy, but on, on local history, which brings in the genealogy, and trying to tie things together and try and write them down so that they're not forgotten when people go. And you've got a place called Shalom. People come and visit Shalom. People come and visit, and, and they, come they the can... But most of the genealogy is done online. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that map you've got <laughs> uh, in Shalom of all the people that you've helped find their families or their family trees. Because, as you say, it's not the easiest thing to do when they visit the islands to know what village or what house or those kind of things. Yes. So um, that's what you've given people. Yes. We're just standing here overlooking this magnificent church. Tell me a little bit about it. Well, to do that, I'm actually going to take you back a bit first. Because behind you, on the hilltop there, there's the remains of an Iron Age fort. Uh -huh. A lookout place. And the need for a lookout is, was developed on the tower here in the church, right. where you have big lookout windows at the top. So it's a, it's a combination of religious and uh, warfare. When would have the church been first built uh, on this site? Nobody knows. It's a straight right? answer. Ulster Crotach rebuilt it in the 1570s. It's always said Ulster Crotach rebuilt it. And that was the kind of mid-late 1500s, is that right? Yes, yes. And so there's been a church here in some state in ever some since? State, oh, oh, ever since, and probably since oh, since Christianity came to the places, probably 11, 1200, something like that. Although the MacLeods of Denvegan are 
literally called them the clouds of Harris. They were here first, and they had land on both sides of the Minch, Dunvegan and here. And if you like, Dunvegan became their uh, land site, and Rodo became their sea site and their religious site. So the chiefs maybe lived in uh, Dunvegan, but they died. <laughs> they died here, and many <laughs> and of them are buried here. Yes. Why do you think they chose Rodal geographically? You know, we're quite far into the south of Harris, where we are right now. Ah, but you're starting from the wrong place. OK. Uh, the the centre of things is out there, the water. Yes. Seize the highway. Mm-hmm. And between Rodal, this is the closest place in Harris, uh, to Dunvegan, if you like. Uh, they had the North Harris Hills as their hunting grounds for deer. And the, the fertile islands of Pavi and Bern are out to the west here. So, no, it was more a centrepiece. This was nearly like a, a, nearly a playground for them in some ways. Oh, yes. We're seeing gravestones as we mm. kind of walk up the path. And there's some quite a lot of characters uh, who are buried here. And one uh, lady in particular was quite a famous or well-known bard. Tell us a little bit about Marin Ewan. Well, I, I can't show you who she's... I can show you where she's buried, but I can't prove it to you. Yes, she was not the first female bard in Gaelic, but she's one of the best known. But she also changed the style of bard, as opposed to the people could remember and recite. The bardic tradition had been very much an aristocratic tradition. And, and she started using meters, using normal language. It was relevant to the people themselves. It, mainly, it was aimed at the Macleod's the Sea of Berner and Dunvegan, because they paid her wages, after all. <laughs> she did give a lot of credit to maybe the wrong Macleod at a certain point, <laughs> and so she was exiled, wasn't she? Oh, she yes. was cast away she to... Was it Mull she went to? Or? Uh, where, where I think go? it was Scarabaugh, which is off ah, the coast of Mull yes. itself. Uh-huh. But the, the, that's where she's writing the Refume in Hev. The, she's not hearing the sounds of the ocean. And as she would prefer to be hearing the sounds of Patrick's fingers, because Patrick was Peter McCrimmon, the, the piper, the chief piper. So that's her writing, wanting back. And she got back. And she got back. Well, she got back in condition that she stopped making poems. She didn't, of course. <laughs> but, uh, she said, oh, they're not poems, they're, they're just croons. <laughs> it's impossible not to feel the stories just coming from, from beneath you, isn't it? Yes. But the inside is even older and you're very conscious of history there. Shall we take a walk in, Bill, and see what's inside? Sure. You know, I'm so so used to it that I can visualise it completely and to say, how do you describe it? You very rarely hear light conversation from visitors. Oh, maybe the word I'm looking for. So this is known as, well, Alistair MacLeod's tomb, I guess, in what we're looking at here. Alistair hunchback Alistair, because he was wounded by a sword, I can't remember which battle, one of the many battles with the McDonald's. Mm -hmm. That's that's the effigy which is done in a black schist rock, it's right shiny, showing the power of the MacLeods, if you like. Because what you've got there is picking out that uh, Madonna and Child, two bishops, the St. Clement, the galley, sign of sea power, the castle, sign of land power, hunting the deer, the weighing of souls, and obviously he comes off better. As well as being beautiful illustration, it's a statement of power and prestige. 
some of the things that aren't there are equally powerful. I mean, you're talking earlier about Mother Elsa Rui. She's buried in that corner. It's not marred. She didn't want it to be marred. That's amazing, because I would never have known no. that's where she was buried. No. That's amazing. And the light coming through the windows. It, it really is a very special place. Bill, thanks so much for giving us just the most amazing tour uh, of this special church. Thanks for coming with us. Oh, sure. <laughs> Now, another fun fact, Emma. If you are a fan of Call the Midwife, you might recognise the church. It was used in the 2019 Christmas special. Yes, I think that's the only episode of Call the Midwife that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they used um, a lot of places in the islands. You've got Yarraman, uh, the Black House Village. Yeah, yeah. I've got Scalpy Lighters and Callow Stones, I think, as well, were used. Yeah, it really showcased the islands, it actually. Did, it yes. really did. Um, and wasn't it great to hear uh, from Bill Lawson? Oh, it's lovely. Bill has is a fountain of knowledge. He has so much knowledge in that brain of his, and he um, he offers to research your family trees, and he did um, the history of the Crofts and Scalpy. So, um, in one of his booklets, we've got a family tree back a few a few generations. So it's quite nice to have that. It's quite precious. And, and the fact that visitors can go and visit or contact them online yes. and learn about their history and their connections of the islands as well. Absolutely, really, really special. For more information on visiting St. Clement's Church in Rodal, go to historicenvironment.scot for opening times and how to get there. Or simply visit calmac.co.uk. Every Scottish island in your bucket list, every sunrise, every waterfall, every bird song, every seashell, every stroll along the edge of the world, every new friend you make, every dance, every dram, every downpour, every crackling campfire, every sparkling night sky, every feast under harbour lights, and every photo under that red Calmac funnel. Every moment, every memory, every journey starts a story. And you can start yours at calmac.co.uk Tiny Changes is Scotland's national young people's mental health charity. Since 2019, Tiny Changes has helped over 4,000 young minds across Scotland feel better. The charity was set up in memory of artist and frightened rabbit frontman Scott Hutchison. Through his music and art, Scott made tiny changes that had a big impact. His honesty and openness about his own mental health inspired people from all walks of life. The team behind Tiny Changes believes that Scotland's young people deserve great mental health. For more information and to donate today, visit tinychanges.com. Max Adventure, experts in self-guided walking and cycling holidays. You choose your route, your departure date and who you travel with. We do the rest. Includes hassle-free luggage transfers, hand-picked accommodations, easy navigation and 24-7 support. Let us do the legwork so you can put the miles in. This is active travel led by you. Begin your journey at maxadventure.com. Emma, 
Harris Beaches have been voted as some of the best beaches in the world <laughs> by TripAdvisor. What's your favourite? I'd have to say uh, Hushnish, I think. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. It's stunning. It's quite a trek to get to, it quite is, a challenge. It but is a trek to Hushnish. <laughs> and uh, actually, even along the way, there's lots to see. There is. You've got Avonsea Castle, and just before you reach the beach, you can see all the Highland cows as well. I love, I love those it. Highland cows. <laughs> I think they beautiful. might be the most photographed Highland cows in the world. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your favourite beach? Well, my favourite is the beach at Horogabost and the views over the uninhabited island of Taransey. Made famous by the BBC show Castaway, I was lucky enough to take a boat trip over to the island with owner Adam Kelleher. I've just taken my shoes and socks off to walk through these pristine white sands on the beach at Horogabost on the island of Harris. And just in the distance, I see a wee boat coming in. And that's Adam from Borv Lodge. He's going to take me on some adventure today. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Adam. Well, I'm a New Zealander by birth. Uh, I moved to the UK many years ago. I'm an entrepreneur in the, in the life science sector. We're on this lovely wee boat of yours. And what are you taking us today? Well, we're off to Tarrantsea, which is Scotland and Britain's largest uninhabited island. This is how we typically go across. It's about 1.6 miles. Um, depending on my, my need for speed, it can take six minutes or, or, or a little bit longer. <laughs> this beach, I feel like we're Robinson Crusoe, just about to land. Here we go. I'm looking back over the mountains of the island of Harris and to be honest with you, on a day like this, I'm not too sure that anywhere in the world I'd rather be. So and we've been hearing the oyster catchers who have been circling us since we arrived on shore, but this must be a haven for wildlife enthusiasts. It is. I mean, it's so wild and it's so pristine. Um, we have a wild deer herd here for over, over 200 deer. You might see some of them uh, running around today. What are your plans? What, what's your aspirations uh, for the island? Well, I think to have a, a light footprint. I mean, we have an ecological restoration project and we really want the, to bring back tree life, flora and fauna, um, to encourage uh, migratory birds to come back. And already we've, we've planted several thousand trees within deer, deer enclosures, which, is, which are starting to take. Give us an idea of what, what life would have been like on Tarrancey, say at the turn of the century, kind of 1900s. I think it would have been very tough. There's no two ways about it. You can see right across the island they have uh, lazy beds, and there's nothing lazy about them at all. You know, these I, I call them toil beds because, I mean, these are, are, are deep furrows that have been dug by hand uh, on which potatoes were grown on, on the top to basically stop them from, from drowning in, in the furrows. And so people would have lived on a very simple diet, perhaps some fish. Um, they had to pay uh, to the local um, laird. When did the last residents of Tarrancey finally depart the island? That was in 74 and I understand I think there were six people and, and there was one young man that the, you know, the other five inhabitants were mostly elderly so he was sort of carrying the whole load and I think they just thought well we can't do it anymore. I can see some black houses over there. Would that have been one of the main settlements? Yeah, so there were three main settlements and you can see there are extensive stone walls throughout the island, I believe, that were sort of divvying off the various areas for the various settlements. 
the footprints of the past are, are very clear to be seen right right across the island. So going the furthest back that we know, there's a midden, which is essentially is a rubbish dump from previous inhabitants, and that archaeologist came and had that age to be 9,000 years old. Remarkable. It's a, a pre-crockery state of humanity. I mean, that's before the pyramids. It's, it's before the rise of city-states. I mean, it's a remarkable thing to think that people were here 9,000 years ago. And essentially, you'll see um, cockle shells that have been that are embedded into the bank there um, you know that have been eaten by somebody 9,000 years ago so it's quite quite humbling to think you go back that far but then of course we have Loch and Doon um, and then we have the, the Viking mills uh, they believe they were used to, to grind grain um, and then more recently we've got the black houses down here. And you mentioned the Doon, Loch and Doon so tell us a little bit about what a Doon or Doon is. Yeah, essentially it was a, a keep. Um, so, I mean, a brock was more of a living, a larger area where, you know, you'd have livestock on the ground floor and people would live above and get the, the warmth of the animals. But a, a dune was, it was a keep. Uh, you know, there were island raiders, of course, and so they would sound the alarm and I believe the whole populace would run in there and sort of lock the doors and uh, wait for these uh, marauders to, to leave. Adam, we've just walked about 20 minutes up to the top of the hill and there's this big loch in front of us. So we're at Loch and Doon and you can see the stepping stones that, that reach out to the, the keep that was in the middle of the loch. But remarkably, if you come across the stepping stones and walk here, you'll find that one of them, when you stand on it, gives a, a knock. It's like an alarm, an alarm bell in a way. And um, they call this Clach Guttermin, is that right? Yes, isn't it? I believe yeah. so. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. And so literally that noise there would alert the people and the folk in the dune that there might be somebody coming to visit that they might not have expected at two in the morning. And they might not be that friendly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've made the noise, um, but there's no, I don't think there's anybody in the dune today, so I think, uh, I think we're okay, we can keep going. Indeed, indeed. Adam, I can just see the seals hopping about on the shoreline there. They live a pretty good life here. That's they sure. look pretty happy here. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Borv looks out over the Sound of Tarrant, so we see the sun setting behind it on a nightly basis. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about Borv Lodge. It's a, it's a coastal estate, so uh, we don't have vast tracts of land or anything, but we, we have a fishery, a salmon fishery, and some very beautiful coastline and a, and a valley. And uh, visitors can come and stay. Absolutely, yeah, we've got five uh, self-catering houses there. And they're beautiful, Adam, like they're so unique. Tell us a little bit about the architecture of some of these. Uh, that you, yeah, so when uh, my wife and I bought the estate in 2007, and I, I met a, a leading architect, Stuart Bagshaw, I was really taken by the Carloway Brock up in Lewis, because, I mean, that's a remarkable site that's about 2,000 years old, but you can actually visualise how people lived. So the we have two... Uh, houses we have the brock the vision of that was to uh, make it look like a ruin within which there were 21st century luxuries and, and appeal um, and the second house is called the rock house and that's uh, people call it like a flintstone house from that <laughs> because it's it looks like it's built within a rock garden well it's so funny because we drove past it on the way here and that's exactly the words i used it does look like the flintstones house yeah. it's like, like the carloway brock it's almost like every rock tells a story 
if somebody wanted to visit Tavernsey, can they do it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we run day trips across here. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of dependent on weather and availability of skippers and all that stuff. But we try to make the place accessible as much as possible. When somebody can book to come here, what, what can they anticipate being able to do on the island? Uh, freedom, really. Just to, you know, we give them a map and, you know, there are many sites, archaeological sites, um, a lot of bird life here and just wander along the pristine beaches. I mean, you'll be completely alone. And there's no shops or supermarkets, so you better bring a picnic. You have to bring everything, even dr drinking water, suntan lotion, you know, the whole, the whole, whole thing. We, we don't have a, a 7-Eleven. <laughs> I think let's keep it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that just lovely to hear from Adam there? Have you ever been uh, to Terence? Sadly, no. I've been, lived in Scalpe for so many years and it's always been on my list. I was meant to kayak over with my uncle last summer, but it just never happened. I think the weather took a turn for the worst, but it's definitely <laughs> on my list of things to do. It's de uh, I just had an amazing time there. And wasn't it just fantastic to hear all the, the bird life oh, on the island? Oh, Very atmospheric. <laughs> it was it oyster catchers that was... That it was, was some yeah. oyster catchers I heard, <laughs> I thought yeah. So. I thought I could hear them speaking Gaelic. So there's a, a thing that we say in the islands that the oyster catchers, um, as we call them, um, speak Gaelic. Because uh -huh. they, they sound as if they're saying "biglik, biglik, biglik, biglik." Great impression. <laughs> and what does that mean in English? That means "be wise, be wise, be wise." So the oyster catcher is a picture. Um, it's the logo for Tully Allen Police College, and that's their motto, I think, or their on their logo. That's amazing. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Well, for more information on and to book a day trip to Tarancey, go to ilovetarancey.com or simply visit calmac.co.uk. Emma, if you were advising travellers on one last thing they simply must do when visiting Harris, what would it be? Oh, it's a tough question, but um, I don't think we've, we've covered this yet in our, in our chat, but Harris Tweed is also a massive part of, of um, island culture. And... Uh, They've got a Harris Street Museum down in Drinishadward in the base of Harris. You've got local weavers who are more than happy to, to take people in to show them um, how to weave. And if you're heading down the bays, you're as well heading down to Schoonart Cafe, where I used to work when I was when I was in school, oh, just about to leave. <laughs> just, to, just before I left home um, uh, for, yeah, lovely coffee and scones and also gorgeous paintings by, by Andrew Craig. <laughs> Emma, that sounds amazing. It's true. You can't visit Harris without bringing back a wee bit of Harris Tweed. <laughs> to find out more, go to the Clawmore Harris Tweed exhibition at harristweedisleofharris.co.uk. <laughs> Well, that's all from this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe, like, rate, review and share with your friends. For show notes and more information on this and all my other island destinations, plus full details on Caledonian McBrain's routes, timetables, prices and bookings, go to calmac.co.uk. Every journey starts a story, so book your Caledonian McBrain island adventure no. From the Big Light Studio.